0: This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. Lord, again, we are just so grateful to be here. Thank you that we can come together also to do communion. Thank you, Lord for the grace that we have in Christ, the treasure trove, Lord, everything we ever need to know you, to be in relationship with you, we have in Christ Jesus. And today, Father, we want to talk about how we can connect in with your sovereignty, how we can be disciples that bear much fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were here last week, we spoke about the point of prayer, uh, and an example I gave was if you've ever been at a big stadium, they've, they've got that Mexican wave that goes around, and, and I don't know, the first time I was there I missed it, but every other time I've been able to, to do it, and God has placed you right here, right now, and there is Christians that have gone before you. They've stood up And then they've sat down in the presence and glory of God, which you will soon when your life here ends. And so the time has come around. Not only have you been born as a baby, but if you're a Christian, you have been born again by the spirit of God who dwells in you. And so now you stand and it is your turn to live for God. But last week, as we were talking about the power of prayer, what I mentioned was Jesus was walking along the road towards Jerusalem. He saw a fig tree and he Cursed it, and he said, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And if you remember what he was talking about, he was talking about Israel. He was talking about those people who were meant to be people of God. They didn't bear fruit, they weren't living for God. And so, what did Jesus do? You know, we always like to talk about Jesus, sweet, gentle, and kind, and he is all of those things, but he's also the lion of Judah. And he cursed it and it's gone. Their fruit, they're cut off. And now it has been given to us to bear the fruit of God. And remember when as I finished, I said, maybe there should be just a slight bit of a fear there for us. And we we looked at some examples in Revelation where Jesus will cut churches and Christians who don't bear fruit. And so the example I gave or the, the help I gave for us was you must have a prayer life if you want to bear fruit. Because Jesus went on to cursing the tree. Then he threw everybody out of the temple for them distracting the place of prayer to the nations. And then he went on to speak about prayer and doing the impossible to the disciples. So that was that point. But today's point's going to be a little bit different. And the kids are going to be with, with me here to help me out today. So it says... The reason we pray is so that we can ask for his presence, his power, and have his authority upon us. And what I mean by that is that we're going to be obedient to God. But there might have been something you missed there. Because remember I said it is His power. It is His presence and His authority that we are under. And you've got to understand as a Christian, we don't just throw our hands up and pray to some deity, some nameless wonder. We pray to a very personal, very intimate God who has made Himself known in the Scriptures. There's many different faiths out there but ours is one that is true and a God who has made himself known. And so that's going to be our our purpose today. You can have an incredibly big and great prayer life, but if you do not know God, you might be praying to the wrong thing. So I'll go on. God's son, Jesus, was so sure of the Bible, he often used it in his own life. And we might remember that from last week, Mark 11. He was pushing out the money changers, pushing out those who were selling in the temple. And what did he say? Does it not say, my house is a house of prayer? What did he appeal to? Now, we know the authority of Jesus. Jesus could have walked in there and said, enough of this, get out. He, he has that authority. He is God's son. Whatever he says, it's, it's in the Bible. It's there for us to learn from. But he didn't, did he? He points back to the words of his father spoken through the prophet and uses that as his basis for kicking all these people out. That might teach us something about how significant the word of God is if Jesus himself is going to use it throughout his ministry. Jesus would challenge religious hypocrites and even Satan with the word of God when he was tempted out in the desert. Why? Because when man or demon look to bear their authority down on your will, you have a th- an authority that is above all other authority, which is God's. Now, I would love for you to memorize this. If you can remember what I'm about to say, this will protect you as a Christian. And it has protected me in quite a number of scenarios. It was a, it's a quote from Martin Luther when the Roman Catholic Church was saying, you must do this. You must believe what we tell you to believe. So this is the church. This is someone in here coming to you and saying, you've got to do what I say. And you're going to do it on behalf of God. And what his challenge back to that was this. He said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I'll say it again. My conscience is captive to the word of God. That means that if someone comes to you and says, do this, and you say, no, no, no. God's word says I shouldn't. Does that make sense? Who are we going to follow, them or God? My conscience is captive to the word of God. But there's also another element to God's word that is just as important. And it is to know who we are, why we are here and where we are going. These are the most important questions in life. And I feel feel so saddened when I see parents that don't know those answers that that freely flow from us Christians because we know God's word. Mom, dad, who are we? Why are we here? Where are we going? What's the point of life? That is so important. So important. Now, here it is. This is what it's like when we don't have the word of God. If you're on a boat and it's a beautiful, fine day and you're standing there, it's a big boat. How do you stand when it's a beautiful, calm day? What about when it starts to get like the clouds start to get a bit dark and the waves go like this, what, what does it look like for you? Where do you go? What if it gets bigger like this? What do you look like? What if the waves start crashing on the boat? What happens to you then? <laughs> exactly. Listen, that's exactly what Paul says. He says this, Ephesians 4:14. 4, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. He's just given it right there. As a Christian, you are going to come up against things where they are going to try and deceive you, to trick you, and you're just going to be blown around, tossed around. But before that, he was talking about apostles, preachers, teachers. He was saying those who give you the word of God, truthfully give you the word of God. You look to them and you won't be tossed around. So I'd hate to live a life like that. You imagine if your whole life was like that, just going from one wave to the next, getting knocked here and knocked there, but not us. In the world, there are those who act like they know. So they'll act like they know, but they're lying. They go, I know truth. Oh, the Bible's not true, but I've got this truth. They act like they're real confident as well, some of these people. Some of these false teachers, they call themselves Christians as well, and then they tell you the lie. Very confident people. But others may be deceived already before they speak to you, and they actually think what they're saying is true from some other false teacher, but that is not our authority. I don't care how confident they are. You get the Jehovah's Witness, the Mormon knocking on your door. They look you straight in the eye and they'll tell you their truth. But it doesn't matter because it's contrary to the word of God. So it's a lie. I can feel the friction in the room when you say something like that to somebody. Hey, but it's either they're right or you're right. You know, I love in our postmodern world, we like try and like say, well, that's your truth. That's my truth. no. Jesus didn't get crucified because he was trying to go their truth, my truth. He's like, This is my Father's word. Didn't we just hear that? What does the Bible say? It's after he tosses all the people out of the temple that were selling things. And so here it is. See to it. Colossians 2 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spirit forces of this world rather than on Christ. And Galatians 1.8, that even if we... So this is the apostle speaking. He's saying, even if I come to you or an angel from heaven, like you have the most tremendous supernatural experience, even if that happens, but that thing preaches a gospel that's about Jesus, other than the one we preach to you, Let them be under God's curse. They're serious about truth, aren't they? The word of God is serious about truth. See, even God's son needed his father's words to overcome in this life. How much more should we get to know God's word if we hope to overcome? Now, there might be a hard hard little saying at the end of that, Who here thinks they're going to walk their Christian walk better than Jesus? None of us would put our hand up. None of us have walked like Christ, as purely and wholesome and perfectly as he has. But what did he do? He relied upon his own father's word. So what about us? He took it seriously. How much more should we take God's word seriously? Even Paul had to warn a young Timothy of the same thing. He said this in 1 Timothy 4.16. Listen to this one. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, here's here's a, a, a little bit of trivia for us. How do I watch my life? What life is he talking about? He's talking about the life you lead through the word of God, through the teachings of the apostles, the son of God and the disciples. Okay, that's how I'm to live my life. And I've got to watch that. But then what about your doctrine? What's doctrine? Well, doctrine means, well, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about sin? What do I believe about the gospel? You you have to know God's word in order to watch those things. And if you do keep careful attention on these things, what's the promise? You'll not only save yourself, but what what are you going to do? You're going to save your hearers as well. You're going to be someone who is going to pour springs of living water out into this world that is corrupted. Because you have the truth. You have the truth upon God's own authority. Sadly, like a compass without a needle is every heart devoid of God's word. Could you imagine how silly that would be? You buy a compass from the shop and you go out to find your way home and you look down at it and it's got no little needle pointing north. I know LJ would take it straight back and get a refund. Me too. But for the kids, let's go back to basics. Knowing who we really are, for many is like a painting on the, on, an art, on an art exhibition, right? This is how people come to their life. Who am I? What am I here for? Where am I going? And it's like people walking into a painting and going, yeah, I, I think that's why the artist did that. You know what? I reckon I know what the artist looks like based on this painting, and they try and make all of these assumptions on why it was painted, when it was painted, how it was painted, but they've got no idea until maybe you go down you have a look at the little plaque where the artist himself has written why he painted it, how he painted it, when he painted it, all the things you need to know about that piece of artwork. And this is the word of God to us. We are that artwork. Here, I'll I'll read it for you in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's handiwork. But how on earth could you know why you're here, where you're going, and all the great and big questions of life if you're not prepared to come to the artist, the creator of yourself, and go and learn from him? It's impossible. Or if you come across a baby in a pram and... Lord forbid, there's no parents around. You're out in a park and there's a baby in a pram. I know my my heart rate's going up just thinking about this. This would be quite shocking, I imagine. And and as you see this, this baby, you would have no idea about any detail of this baby, who it belongs to, how long they've been here. All of these questions would start flooding into your mind. The only way you would know about this child is if one of the parents came over and told you, But that's exactly us as well. We're like the baby. Have a read of Acts chapter 17, verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. We are created by God. We are created for God. And if you don't know him and have a relationship with him, how on earth could you know what on earth you're doing here? Where are you going? What's the purpose of life? All of these great and wonderful questions. And as an offspring, we need to remain in close and constant relationship with our Father through prayer. That was last week. Through prayer, without neglecting to know and obey Him through His revealed Word. That's the point of today. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Maybe there's a little bit we learn about the fruit bearing of a Christian. You have been chosen. You have been called. You have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb so that what? You could be like Him. You could conform yourself to the image of His Son. Now, how on earth are we going to do that if we don't know the son? If we don't study his life, if we don't contemplate and meditate upon the word of God, we would be like those people walking along at the Ark exhibition going, I think this, maybe maybe throw throw a dart at it or something. You know, let's just have a guess. We don't want to be like that. And I cannot stress the importance of what I'm saying, especially today. I want to I share some reasons why in our society. In our society, intellectuals will get up and they will tell you that they cannot tell the difference between a boy or a girl anymore. Now, you think I'm talking about some fringe funny group out there? No, we're talking about scientists. We're talking about world leaders. They won't tell you the distinctions between a boy and a girl. That's just out the window. This is a society we're in now. Claim that we came from nothing and then nothing turned into bacteria and then bacteria turned into a fish and a fish turned into a monkey and a monkey turned into a human, all from nothing. Don't laugh. These are the smartest minds in the world telling us this day in, day out. Uh, they're people who protest for unity yet lobby for tribalism, live totally immoral lives, yet declare their virtue on social media. They are denying God while simultaneously believing in some ambiguous higher power. They claim they have they are peaceful yet are full of rage. They talk of joy but are never satisfied. They live in an existential terror of acid rain, holes in the ozone, rain bombs, and boiling oceans, and then they pass that existential fear onto their children. Uh, and they, industries formerly built to heal nations, are consumed with greed and profit. They claim capital punishment is evil unless the person is an unborn child, then it's a just cause. They say, Don't judge while they are judging. What you think you become that includes an animal. You want to become an animal today? I've got to respect that dignity that you have as that animal. I mean, like, I wish I was joking. I wish this was a joke to you today. Um, We've got. Uh, opinion is fast becoming the way we do science. We have gender reassignment, critical race for the masses, social justice, the cure to patriarchy, systemic racism and misogyny. To top it off, most have the nerve to blame God while simultaneously not believing in him. Absolute. Madness, And I, I think that people will listen to everything I've just said there. That was just off the top of my head for five, five minutes, just jotting a few things down that come to mind. But people may listen to this in the future and think that guy is talking about some crazy fringe in 2023. I'm talking about the mainstream. I wish it was just some group out there that no one really pays attention to. But we are going downhill and it is getting so dark as a society. And honestly, if we want to just turn our Bibles to chapter, uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 28, we get just a little snippet of why this is happening right now. Welcome to an ever-increasing godless society, Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not be done. They didn't retain the knowledge of God. How do we retain the knowledge of God? Through his word, obedience to his word. But society has said to God, forget you. And so God says, fine, have at it, go for it. And this is what we end up with. And we would be the ones called crazy. You think we would be disheartened, but I'm excited Because look what God has given us, power, love, and a sound mind. That's a promise from the Holy Spirit. We have power, love, and a sound mind. The more crazier it gets out there, inevitably the more brighter it gets in here, in our lives and us as Christians. We are going to continue to shine. We are on steady water while there's storms out there and lives being broken and rebroken and rebroken this is a time where the lord god is so obvious obviously the answer to humanity's intellectual and emotional diseases it's so obvious this disease that envelops our land as we retain the knowledge of god And as they depart, the difference and that gap is just going to keep widening and we're going to become more noticeable. We've just got to try and stay out of it. Stay out of it. Remember I taught, my conscience is captive to the word of God. That protects us from everything I just mentioned before. You think that's your truth. No, my conscience is captive to the word of God. But I ask you this, is your heart captivated? By the word of God. That's the challenge, isn't it? We can't say that our conscience is captive to the word of God if we don't know the word of God. We can't say our conscience is captive by the word of God if we're not encouraged enough to be excited enough to share the word of God. There may even be a greater burden on us Who understand what the words inerrancy and sufficiency of scripture mean. Have you heard that before? Inerrancy and sufficiency of scripture. For those who don't, if you have your Bible, 2 Timothy 3:16. We read, all scripture is God breathed. That's the inerrancy of Scripture. That means the word of God is not a suggestion, it's not a self-help, it's not a guide. It is as though God from his very lungs has pushed air through them, out the vocal cords and out the mouth. This is God's word breathed from his own lips. So there's no authority higher. There's no judge, no court in all of the earth, no king that can come and say no to God. That's inerrancy. It doesn't err. It is correct. It is true. But what does sufficiency mean? And that's the next part of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It means it not only is trustworthy, it is the breathed word of God, but we use it in order that we may teach, rebuke, correct, and train. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Can you see how hard it would be to walk your life out as a Christian if you don't know the word of God? If you don't see for yourself that it is God breathed. You know how we can just like minimize things? I think we do this in the the closest relationships you have. We often can tend to minimize them and they become very ordinary. I don't know about you, but when it's very different from when a child is first born to when a child is three years old and they've just scribbled all over your walls. You know, it's just you... And we can often do this with God and our relationship with Him as well and forget that this is God-breathed Word. This is to teach and instruct and guide us through this wicked world that we may not only save ourselves, but save our hearers as well. We become effective to help others to come to salvation and yet we can tend to treat God as ordinary. And, And I would push back against that now and challenge you on that. What good is inerrancy and the sufficiency of God's Word if it's just shut up in our hearts, or if we ignore it altogether. When the Lord asks, and this may be us, you get to heaven, and the Lord asks, where is your neighbor? Where are your neighbors, Daniel? Would you, like Cain, say, am I my neighbor's keeper? I hope we would say something more along the lines of, Lord, I warn them of the coming judgment. I invited them to your son. Better yet, Lord, my neighbor is here. I obeyed you. I shared your word with them. And by your grace and your power, they're saved. And they're here with us in eternity. See how easily we can minimize that, brothers and sisters. That's what's at stake. Your neighbor is not an accident. They're not just another person. They are a soul that will live forever in one of two places, and we need to care more about that. You might think, well, the world will call us crazy. Or maybe your pride will think, I don't want to look silly. Yes, We best understand that we sound foolish to a world gone mad. Like the last thing you want in the throes of your madness, in the throes of your drunkenness, is for someone to come along and speak order and truth into that madness. Obviously. You're going to rage against that. What were the next words that in Mark 11, last week, Mark 11, what were the next words that came to us after Jesus kicked everybody out of the temple who was selling things, and then what did he do? He said, is, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. What are the next words? So Jesus applied the word of God, what happens? Verse 18, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began to look for a way to kill him. Isn't that interesting? That's what the word of God does in the hearts of those who are depraved, who have let go of the knowledge of God. They didn't see fit to retain it. And then you come along and you say, that's wrong and this is right. No, that's your truth. No, that is the truth. There is no other truth. Did Satan not play his part? Because Jesus used similar words against him during the great failure of Satan trying to tempt Jesus in the desert. Jesus said, Is it not written when he challenged Satan? John. He had the same death outcome because he spoke God's word into Herod's life and said, the marriage that you have is immoral. He lost his head for that. And all the disciples, because of the word of their testimony, the faithful disciples all lost their lives in in a very tragic way because they spoke God's word to a depraved and wicked generation. Might we again see how important the word of God is for us in our lives? I can't speak. Who would listen to me? I'm shy. I'm embarrassed. I get it. But remember, it is God who empowers his word. You're just the mouthpiece. You're just Christ's ambassador. You're told to do a job which is to speak the truth. It is God's responsibility to go into that heart and go to war against that person, not ours. Yet we often shrink away from even that. Now, I've got a story about a tiger and a mouse. Winner. This little mouse walks into the tiger's cave. Now, honestly, you think you might know how this story goes, but you don't. The mouse walks in. He stands up on his two legs. He puffs his chest out, and he says, listen here, buddy, you better watch out or I'll get you. And you know what the tiger did? He started quivering in the corner. He was scared. He tried to climb up the wall to get away from the little mouse, and he'd take another step, and he'd, the tiger would jump a bit more. But what do you think happened when the tiger realized how big his teeth were? How sharp his claws are? And how much bigger and more powerful he is than the mouse? The mouse got really scared, really scared. But as Christians, I feel we can sometimes be that tiger. The world comes and puffs its chest and walks up to us and we quiver and we hide and we're scared We don't think we can speak into it. We don't think they'll listen, and we think there's some problem. Maybe it'll hurt our pride, and so we're quivering in the corner at this little mouse, but we've got to realize the word of God has teeth, has claws, and it is far more powerful than they have any, any idea. But are we going to open our mouth? Are we going to challenge the system, challenge the madness with truth? when we realize what we have, I don't think we can be stopped. And not just the word of God, but like I said last week, the power of prayer. This is because again, it's not under your strength. It's not your teeth. It's not your claws. It's not your size and strength. It's God's word. God breathed. So now I'm going to answer the last question. I asked, who are we? What are we doing here and where are we going? I'm going to answer that question just now because people often answer this. Go and ask anybody on the street just for fun. Go say, who are you? I'll say, oh, I'm Daniel. Uh, no, I didn't ask for your title. Who are you? Oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor or I'm a mechanic or I'm a father. Like they'll, they'll, no, no, I don't want to know things about you that make you up. I want to know who you are. And literally, they say, I don't know how to answer that question. Who am I? I don't even know what you're talking about. But here, I'll answer it for us all today. We are all made in the image of God and have been wonderfully created by God to perfectly love him and love all those around us. Unfortunately, our backstory is not good. Sin and death have consumed all of us completely by the sin of our ancestor, Adam. He and we by nature have become sinful and deserving of eternal judgment for not living up to God's lovely ways, but instead we continually break his law day in, day out. Despite all this, God had a plan to save us. He sent his beloved and only son, Jesus, from heaven to us. He lived the perfect life we failed to live, a lovely life, but gave it up and died to pay all of that sin that we have committed. Unlike us, death could not hold Jesus down. And so he rose again on the third day and offers forgiveness and new life to all who will make him their Lord and Savior. As God has commanded all people, I have made Jesus my Lord by committing my life to follow and obey him. Have you? As God has commanded all people, I have made him my savior by trusting in his death for the total payment and forgiveness of all of my sins. Have you done that? If so... Because of God's love in sending Jesus, now, like at the beginning of creation, we can again go on to love God and love those around us. God just rewinds it again. The the debt is paid, the sin is gone, and it rewinds, and we're back to where we started, where we should be. Perfect relationship with God. Yes, it's going to be hard in a corrupt world. Yes, you're going to make mistakes, and Jesus pays for those as well. What a beautiful relationship we have with God in Christ and we do all of that while we wait to be with the Lord in heaven that is our whole story and not a little plaque on a on a little bit of a uh, next to a next to a painting but the artist himself the one whom everything was created through Jesus has come and done that for us himself the word of god is god revealed let's pray heavenly father i thank you so much that we have been given a light in the darkness, that, Lord, you guide your people by the authority and power of your word. Not only that, you presence yourself with us. And so, Father, I ask that we would come into this, even into next year, Lord, with a heart full of prayer, full of a desire to know your word. Father, would we be like starved men and women to want to know you and be in your presence? God, I pray you would protect this congregation from the world, from its trappings, from its philosophies and evil. Lord, continue to uplift us and guide us in this. And Lord, cause your spirit to stir within us. In Jesus' name, amen.